This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. This is Sonal. You're listening to the Off Script Podcast. On the episode today, Robbie walks us through some of the Christmas songs that were so bad that they basically faded into obscurity. We had some mixed reactions to them. Let us know what you think about this. Plus, we're talking about a very unusual way. One man has been responsible for potentially preventing multiple murders from taking place. Plus, what does the phrase chip on the shoulder mean? Robbie's going to sort us out with that and tell us the historical origins. And of course, F1, the debate rages on. Was Lewis Hamilton robbed? We'll discuss. The Off Script Podcast. We've all agreed, I think we've come to the unanimous conclusion that the vast majority of Christmas songs suck. <laughs> uh, are, we, are we right in this? Are yes. We, are I mean, that's fair? the thing is, I like the idea of Christmas music, but why can't they just make it better? Mm. Christmas well, music. We were talking the other day that it's it almost like the songs are purpose built to cause maximum annoyance. Yeah. It's like they got to stand out so much from your regular pop music. I've staged Stoom on this subject for too long, said Kevin Keegan once. I'm going to go out there and defend Christmas music. Some of it is all right. It's Christmas, for God's sake. Smile. Enjoy it. We hear so much nonsense for 11 months of the year. Just embrace it. Get on board with it. Yeah, like I said, I like the idea, I like the festiveness of it, but it's just, some of it, some of it's really not some enjoyable it, to listen to. Well, yeah, there is that, but it's Christmas, and it yeah. should put you in a jolly mood. Uh, Chris, Chris, Chris aggressively told. defending yeah. Christmas. Yeah. You're, def- you're defending his bow. Interesting that he defends Christmas and not the songs, though. It's basically, gives, basically, his point is, give the songs a pass because it's Christmas. Yeah, can yeah. you defend the songs? No, he can't. No, I can't. Right. But it is Christmas, and they do get you in a mood. And a good mood at that. All right. Well, these are the ones that never quite made the grade because okay. I wanted to sort of produce a list of songs that if the ones that actually did become mainstream and popular are annoying, then what of the ones that didn't make it? How bad are they? And it's fair to say there are some absolute doozies in here. <laughs> Come on, I, I cannot. I can't believe I didn't know about these. Most of them. Right. Um, I want to get your official ranking, guys. Okay, okay. Chris and Sonal. I'm going like to like yeah, them. I want to get a ranking out of 10 Okay. Um, for each song. This one was released in 2008. It's Lady Gaga featuring Space Cowboy. Oh it was so bad I could barely listen to 20 seconds of it, and it's called Christmas Tree. I'll go under the Christmas tree. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Someone's got to do it. Now, this song received mixed reviews from critics. Mixed reviews, it's some, horrendous. Some comment commended its creativity and its individuality. Uh, others <laughs> said that the lyrics were clearly not suitable <laughs> for the family. Interesting. Due to strong digital sales, uh, I don't know where they got strong digital sales from because it peaked at number 79 on the Canadian Hot 100 chart in January 2009. I can't believe Lady Gaga's put her name to that. I'll defend it. I like that. Or whatever she was doing. That's going on Sonal's festive playlist. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that is bad. Sonal on Christmas Day. <laughs> All right. Okay. What about the Beatles? They released a, a Christmas song once upon a time called Christmas Time is Here Again. Christmas time is here again. 
always say that Sanjay is the fifth Beatle. It sounds like Sanjay wrote that song. <laughs> it really isn't that great, This is one it? is weirdly the opposite of festive. So what you were saying before about some cheesy music, it's okay, you give it a pass because it puts you in a festive mood. This actively puts me in the opposite Correct. of a festive mood. Yeah. And I mean, Nicholas has messaged in, make it stop. My ears are bleeding. Nicholas, you and mine both. Yeah, this was, was um, this was recorded in 1966 and 1967. I don't know why they needed two years to record it, because it sounds like it was recorded in about eight seconds. <laughs> but it wasn't actually officially released until 1995, whereupon it flopped yeah. upon release. No as we can know. This one really tickled me pink, though. This is called Don't Shoot Me Santa <laughs> by The Killers. And essentially the plot of this song is Santa is kidnapped... Uh, <laughs> By kids on the naughty list. Right. And then threatens to get violent. <laughs> Take a listen. Well, the party's over, kid. Because I... Because I got a bullet in my gun. A bullet in your what? For any kids listening, <laughs> Santa's fine. Okay, he will be here this Christmas. No Santas were harmed in the making of that song. Robbie was positively gleeful when that chorus kicked you know, in, and it's he's very just swaying along to it. That's not a bad song, actually. It's horrendous, Rob. Are you heeding yourself just because it's the Killers, and we all know you, Fuddy Duddy, loves the Killers? That is a horrendous song. And let's admit that it's weird, but it's like good weird, mm. right? I can, uh, you know, what? like it's so bizarre, but. I like could, bizarre. I, there are quite a few mainstream Christmas songs that I would happily swap out and replace with that one. <laughs> Absolutely but not. Santa shooting the kids. Don't yeah. shoot me, Santa. No, no. <laughs> All right. Elton John, a man that Chris McCarty has said has produced more iconic songs than any other musical I'm, artist. I'm going to stick. I'm going to stick by that. It's fair to say this was not one of them. Just to clarify those lyrics, ho, 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 guess who's here? Your fat and jolly friend draws near. Ho, 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 surprise, surprise, the bearded weirdies just arrived. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Labelling Santa the bearded weirdie. <laughs> I draw the line out. You know what? It's Elton. Quite like it. It's kind of accurate, though. Yeah, well, it kind of is. Yeah. But yeah, I, I quite like that. It's yeah. the best one so far. That one doesn't offend me. Okay. No. Are we giving yays to any of these, by the way? <gasps> no. Lady Gaga, Christmas Tree. No. Christmas I admit it to you Beatles. guys. I'm, I'm kind of a fan of most of these. Yeah, fan, I, a fan I, is an overstatement. I, I, I can appreciate a lot of these. I quietly enjoyed Don't Shoot Me, Santa by yeah, The Killers. Me Elton too. John, ho, 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 not so sure about. How about Kenny Rogers? Oh, he came talking. up with, uh, during an album called Christmas, funnily enough, which was released in 1981, <laughs> well done, which peaked at number 10 on the US country charts and number 34 on the overall US charts, he came up with Kentucky Homemade Christmas. Wow. It's just a But for KFC, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it really does. Forgive me if I'm wrong. Is Kenny Rogers, you can pick him, is he the, the poker soul? 
Is that Kenny Rogers? Yeah, I think so, yeah. yeah. You can hold them. You can put whatever yeah, yeah, it goes yeah, like. Yeah, yeah, it is, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Kenny Rogers. Is it definitely, Rob? You don't I'm speak. pretty sure. No, I'm 99% sure. <laughs> okay, fine. The Texas right, Hold'em song. Yeah, Texas Hold'em yeah. song. Indeed. Yeah. Right. Um, do we like that one? I like yeah. that. There was some questionable grooving happening in the studio to that song. Hmm. I enjoyed it. Yeah, there was some questionable. I, I enjoyed it. Now, I'm going to give that a thumbs down from my now, side. Now, this one is just unbelievable. If you thought The Killers was bad, in 1977, The Kinks told the sorry tale of a Santa Claus beaten black and blue by a gang of kids. Take a listen. Listening in the king, a bit Green Day that, isn't mm, it? Yeah, There's a little bit of Green Day, and I've got well, Green Day like obviously well, postdated the King, so course, yeah. probably a little um, bit of Kinks in Green well, Day. Yeah, well, <laughs> you're right, but I'm just saying that Green Day was my cultural reference, <laughs> right, right, growing up. But uh, that I don't mind. The lyrics there, Father Christmas, give us some money. Don't mess around with those silly toys. We'll beat you up if you don't hand it over. We want your bread, so don't make us annoyed. <laughs> give us all the toys to the little rich boys. Those are the lyrics there. Yeah, I mean, I quite enjoyed that. Something to get off their chest. Just a bit edgy, you know? Yeah. Alternative Christmas. Um, and if you thought that was puzzling, what about this one by Neil Diamond, who bizarrely <laughs> tried, decided to swap the word merry <laughs> with cherry? Just a very merry cherry, cherry Christmas. <laughs> and if all of those who love you gather near, you'll have a very merry cherry, cherry Holly, holy, rock and roll Christmas <laughs> this year. Now, he did write wow. Sweet Caroline, so in my eyes, he can do no wrong, Neil Diamond. That's but a Dr. Pepper ad right there. Yeah. <laughs> it, yeah is, right? it is. Yeah, you're a right. Merry Cherry Christmas. That's Dr. Oh, Pepper. That is actually out of all the ones we've heard today. To me, that's the most bizarre. Yeah, holy, mm. roly, moly. Oh, no. You wait till you hear the final one. Okay. This, this one's really... And I, does anyone know who Kenny Chesney is? <laughs> and is he related to Chesney Hawks? <laughs> is the big question. I think he's a country singing kind of icon. <laughs> Goofball. Crooner. <laughs> Crooner. General. Well, you wait till you listen to this, because there's only one thing that Kenny wants for Christmas. All I want for Christmas is a real good tan <laughs> Take me to the islands, put my feet in the sand Rocking to and fro with the rhythm of the ocean Sing in silent night with the palm trees blowing Ooh, don't you think it's a pretty good Kenny Chesney just needs to pop over to Dubai if he wants a real good time <laughs> for Christmas. It's, it's like the anti-winter wonderland anthem. It is. It's bizarre. Mm. It really is, Rob. Where do I, you find? I thought quite a nice tune, though, <laughs> from Kenny Ches. All he wants for Christmas is a real good time. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, so he doesn't want a white Christmas, that's for sure. No, he doesn't. Uh, and then we've got a few um, that were suggested by listeners, actually. Indeed, they were, right? We're hoping that these are all about Chris Rea, come on. Driving home for Christmas is a staple. That's not. That's, that's not, not. No, I'm with you on that. That's not getting played. Uh, Run DMC Christmas in Hollis, apparently. It's Christmas time in Hollis, Queens. Mom's cooking chicken in collard greens. Rice and stuff and macaroni and cheese. And Santa put gifts under Christmas trees. 
decorate the house with lights at night. Snow's on the ground, snow white so bright. You can see Sona Rapani's face right now. She's got a new favorite song yes. by the looks of it. Yes. I can, I can get behind this. Quite like it as well, actually. Right? Yeah. Bobby, where, where was this in your list? That, that that missed the cut. That was obviously too good to make my list. I was on said article that you stumbled on a little earlier. TLC Sleigh Ride. It's a clear melody for me. It doesn't really quite know where it's at. Yeah, Yeah. it's a little tepid. It doesn't really know what it's about. A little tepid, says Sona (laughs) Rapan. No? I quite like it, I must say. I think the last two, our listeners have done our work for us. Good feature that though, Rob. Thanks, Chris. Thoroughly enjoyed that. They are the Christmas songs that thankfully radio stations like us don't often play. The Offscript Podcast. We brought a lot of festive cheer. This is a U-turn. This is juxtaposed against this story, Sonal Rapani, because a Michigan woman did what? Well, it's just a really bizarre story that I caught in CNN today, and it was so intriguing. It's a Michigan woman who essentially got arrested and got put behind bars because she had tried to hire a hitman... Uh, to kill her ex-husband. Sheepers. But the way that she did it is what got her in trouble. So let's go a little bit back in time here. 2020, not too far back in time. Don't worry. We're just going back <laughs> a little bit. For into, you, that's yesterday. <laughs> into the context of this story. Um, so she decides that she wants, her name is Wendy Wayne, by the way, decides that she wants to off her ex-husband be done with him for whatever her own reasons. And she looks online on the web for a way to do that. Comes across rentahitman.com. Come on. No, come, yeah. on. come on. The website promises to handle your delicate situation privately and in a timely manner. Is it really that private when the when the URL is rentahitman? Well, we'll get we'll get to the backstory Wendy. of the website. The site says they have about 18,000 field operatives who can do a job anywhere in the U.S. That might be your first alarm. Of course, there's not 18,000 Jason Bournes running around knocking off ex-hubbies. Yeah, there's also testimonials from satisfied clients, but we'll get to what those actual testimonials were. Um, So she goes ahead, she fills out the form on the site and says, you know, it's kind of odd that your company isn't on the the dark web and you're just out here in public but you know I prefer not going to jail thanks for your time is what she says now she thinks she's reaching out to the site's chief consultant by the name of Guido Finelli I mean Guido Finelli <laughs> sounds like the bloke that sold <laughs> the suit to Robbie for goodness exactly. sake exactly wait a minute there's a review here from a man who said handled my disgruntled employee <laughs> issue promptly while I was out of town on vacation <laughs> Yeah, well, that's the point. All of the testimonials are absolutely farcical like that. So that should be an alarm right there. That should be a big red flag. There should be a lot of red flags on this website before she decided to actually go through it with it to meet somebody and to offer $5,000 to have her husband killed. I mean, there is, we're laughing and giggling at school yeah. children here, but there's a serious undertone to said story. Guido Finelli, <laughs> his actual name was Bob Innes yep. for a start. A man from California who runs the website had never intended for this website to have anything to do with hitmen in the way that we think of them. It was actually meant to be kind of an IT, <sighs> oh, <laughs> cybersecurity, internet security type of business. Um, but essentially, he starts this business years so, ago. It doesn't really take 
take off, so he forgets about it. It started as rented IT man, and then he added an H. <laughs> That's it. No, it had a different meaning in in the IT world. Right. Like rent a hit, a hitman actually in the context of how he was thinking about it had to do with IT security. I don't I don't understand that link exactly, but it made sense for what he was offering. At okay. least he thought, right? And so he was surprised to start receiving messages from people requesting to be a hitman, Jeepers. to do a job for them, all sorts of different things that he was starting to get messages for. And at first, he got a little freaked out by this. And he just kind of put his hands up in the air, walked away from it for a few years. But then when somebody got in touch, I think this was in sort of 2008, if I remember correctly, um, he realized, you know, there's something kind of odd about this whole thing. He got an email about how much for a hit. Um, and he decided to do something about this because he said, I get an email from a woman saying she needed three people murdered. Jeepers. Seems like most of the clients are female. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Listen, we don't know. This is two. We're, we're going off the sample size of two Yeah, here. when I say most, I mean two out of two yeah, so okay. far that we know about. All right. Well, who knows? We can try to get in touch with them and try to get the real analytics oh, tell you what, of who's getting in touch and what their reasons are. Bob Innes, a.k.a. Guido Finale, yeah. is absolutely an off-script guest. Yeah, so what he does is he says he gives people 24 hours to cool off and then, you know, maybe change their mind. Maybe they're just kind of acting in a fit of rage. And when He's he taking reaches, the law into his own hands a little bit. But he's prevented multiple murders. Has he? Well, assuming those people would have somehow or another actually been able to reach a real hitman. Wow. That's a big assumption there. But assuming they would have actually been able to connect with a real hitman and had the job done. I just feel like it's something you've got to know. He's preempted it. You've got to know a guy who knows a guy who knows a guy. You, you can't you can't just pop online yeah. to do your hitman. Rentahitman.com, Rob. Yeah. A lot of these people think... You're going to exist in a certain world, in a certain underworld where such services would be available to one. Society's underbelly. Yeah. That's what you're getting at. He's Rob. actually filled his website with what he calls red flags, left, right, and center. He's To make it really obvious that this is a trap. So the phony testimonials include one from a woman who is ready to mingle after she, after she caught her husband <laughs> cheating with a baby. Babysitter. If you look at the 18,000 field operatives that we mentioned before, that's actually the estimated number of law enforcement agencies nationwide in the U.S. There's also a link to check if your credit card has been stolen, and it takes users to the FBI's Internet Crime Complaint Center. Right. So, I mean, if you can't put two and two together that you're trying to do an illegal activity and take, you know, conduct murder, but that you're being directed to the FBI to make sure that your money is safe in this venture, I mean... You're already struggling there a little bit. And finally, it promises confidentiality <laughs> under what is called the Hitman Information Privacy and Protection Act of 1964. I mean, it's brilliant. I love it's this It's amazing. We need to track him down. So, but tons of people fall for it. He says more than 400 people have filled service request forms, and about 10% of those turn into legitimate cases where the police becomes involved. So he kind of checks in with them after 24 hours, says, are you still interested? If they say yes, it's at that point he turns it over to the police. The police conduct an undercover operation, and if it gets far enough that they wow. really offer transaction to get the job done, then um, then they get thrown in jail. So we started by talking about Wendy Wayne. She's, yes. been, she's in the slammer? She is. So she got picked up for this exactly, you know, in the same manner that we just said. Um, she had met some um, police officers who were undercover and she paid a $200 down payment to indicate that she was serious after offering up 5000 for the job. Yikes. And it was then, of course, that she got taken to court. Wow. Okay, so rentahitman.com. So bizarre. It's really bizarre. The Off Script Podcast.
little mini additional because you asked. Yeah, just a little uh, a phrase. We've often touched on the origins of certain popular phrases that wind their way into the lexicon. I mean, we did words or words that aren't words last hour, so <laughs> well, why not do a phrase? Um, and the phrase in question this week is a chip on your shoulder. How which... do you guys use this phrase? Because I think sometimes I use it incorrectly. Okay, well, tell us how you use it. Well, I think of it in two di- two different ways. Like somebody who has a chip on their shoulder is either kind of just a little bit hardened about something yeah. or they have an inflated sense of self-performance no. or self-worth. It's someone who's a bit bitter. Someone who's got a chip on their shoulder is someone who has taken umbrage to something, yeah. walks around with this chip on the shoulder. Correct? Well, correct. Yeah, because I did look into this. It's not the only phrase that uses chips or indeed shoulders. <laughs> You've got chip off the old block. Yeah, you do. You've yeah. got cold shoulder. Yeah. <laughs> but this one is the only one that fuses both chips <laughs> and shoulders. <laughs> I got really confused because at first I, I thought... Where you yeah. were going with that, Errol? <laughs> uh, it yeah. makes sense. Uh, and I just feel that if you've got a chip on your shoulder, you're bristling. You're a bit indignant. Mm. You're not happy. And you don't mind showing it either. You know? Yeah. You've got a chip on your shoulder. You're willing to demonstrate that, that your chip. disgruntlement. Correct. You're right. It's almost like a badge of honour. Mm-hmm. There's also a longevity, I think, to it. A chip on your shoulder is not something you've been annoyed about for a week. A chip on your shoulder is a personality trait. Mm-hmm. You've been carrying around this chip for an awfully long time. It's a heavy chip. So I therefore come to the question, do you, Chris McCarty, have a chip on your shoulder about anything? A uh, chip on my shoulder? Nah, not really. Well, probably. I mean, give me a few minutes to think. But I like to think. You know me. I mean, you guys both know me. I'm pretty happy-go-lucky. Yeah. Right? So we're not talking about somebody in general who has a chip on their shoulder, but just about a certain thing. Yeah. What do you mean? Well, no, I'm just wondering whether there's anything that you guys have chips on your shoulder about. Yeah. Are you disgruntled about anything, Sona? I'm sure. Doesn't everybody have their chip on their shoulder about something specific? Nah, I'm okay. I'm good in life. Yeah? I mean, give me a couple more minutes to think if I want to take umbrage. I mean, Rob's got a chip on his shoulder about Christmas music. Correct. That, that you could, That's a good application of that yes, phrase, yeah. Indeed. Or fancy yeah. meals, for that matter. Yeah, exactly. No, You've fancy damn meals. You've got a lot of chips yeah. on I, I, I'm, I've got, I'm, I'm practically a large French fries. Okay, so where does it come from? Well, uh, g- have a guess. I mean, no, because I've got no... No, please, I, 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 just for my own wood, amusement. I'm thinking wood chips. No, I'm thinking chips, French fries. Oh, you're thinking actual You're thinking like, French fries. Yes. So you're thinking of a French fry on one's <laughs> shoulder. I've got no clue, Rob. And you're thinking wood chips. Yeah. One of you... Is spot on. Is spot on. It's going to be so on. Of course spot it is. Spot on. And I'm not looking at that person who's currently spot on. Get in. No, it is so not. Oh. I said I'm not looking at that person. <laughs> that was a really weird thing to do because you just looked dead at Chris yeah. and you said, I'm not looking at that person. <laughs> and we both got me. confused. We both thought it was Chris. Uh, right. There is a literal origin meaning to this phrase, yeah. which sort of blew me away. I was expecting it to be... No. You've got your axe. You're cutting down the tree. The chips are flying. That's it. You know what? No, oh. no, oh. You, you were you were right there with the wood chip. Oh, I'll leave it there then. So, a bloke called Pascal Trigueur, um, who apparently has a histories blog, wrote that the phrase arose in the U.S. and Canada during the early 19th century. Apparently, if you were to place a wood chip on your shoulder, you were daring someone to come and knock it off, and whoever was bold enough to do so was essentially agreeing to a tear-up. Oh, right. Um, You were trying to provoke a person that had wronged you, perhaps, by placing a little wood chip on the shoulder, and it just kind of meant that you were itching for hand-to-hand combat. Wait, so you would deliberately find a wood chip, 
walk around with it on your shoulder. Try to balance it there, hoping that somebody would come smack it off your shoulder yeah. so that you could have a fight. Y- yeah. Yeah. Mm. You know how, you know, sometimes you see those pranks where people knock something out of someone's hands and it's just, it's really annoying. There's those football videos where, you know, a guy's doing keepy-uppies or something and a bloke comes along and just kicks kicks the ball away. It's an act of, it's a declaration that you're, you're spoiling for a fight. Right. And the earliest known reference to the tradition is from a, hand li- uh, uh, a handwritten letter. Of course it was. It was back in 1816. <laughs> it wasn't typed out. By someone called James Paulding, saying, A man rode furiously on horseback and swore he'd be damned if he could not lick... And when I say lick, I mean beat in a fight. Right. Don't take this literally. Any man... <laughs> It's a very specific 19th century use of the word lick here, Chris, so please don't take this the wrong way, because I know you will. Who dared to crook his elbow at him, Paulding wrote. This, it seems, is equivalent to throwing the glove in days of yore or the boyish custom of knocking a chip off one's shoulder. Interesting. So that would suggest that by 1816 it was already a popularly known phrase and it does seem to be the, uh, the kind of domain of youngsters, mainly boys, in fact exclusively boys, in a playground spoiling for fights. So it does, because we want to message in saying that in actual fact it means, and just so we're clear, we said it's kind of a a term of disgruntlement. Someone did message in chip on your shoulder means you think the world owes you something. I don't think it's not that, right? If you've got a chip on your shoulder, you're disgruntled. I think you, it can be specific. You can have a chip on your shoulder about something. As someone else has pointed out, you had a chip on your shoulder about Ole Gunnar Solskjaer prior yeah, to his sacking. And correct. you did. I did. You did. And yeah, that's a great example. You had a chip on your shoulder someone about that. Someone knows me better than I know myself. Uh, but I think So also, is that like, I have a chip on my shoulder about Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Come get in a fight with me about it. I'm ready for a fight. Yeah, spoiling yeah. for it. I'm like, yeah. it's a joke. It's Dare a joke. to suggest that he's worthy yes. of the job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's the you're absolutely right. That's when I had my recent chip on my shoulder. But I think in a more general term, you can have a chip on your shoulder about life in general. Mm. I do agree with just that. Just a bit jaded. Yeah, you can be yeah cynical or just a general feeling that the world owes you a favour. And is that where you're at, Rob? <laughs> Not quite. Need enough of uh, I started to slide down that slope and I managed to crawl back up to some sort of vague level of optimism, to be honest with you. Vague <laughs> level of optimism. Hey, he brought in a Christmas hat today. Yeah, he did. How impressed was I with Rob today when he showed up with a Christmas hat? Fair play, Rob. Yep, Fair I've decided play. to give it one more go. Uh, one more go. Why is said optimism seeping back into your life? Um, at the end of the day... <laughs> at the end o- of the day. Optimism is better than pessimism. And All right, David Brett. No. <laughs> oh, my Lord. At the end of the day, optimism is better than pessimism. It's true, though. You've just uttered those words no, but, no. on national that radio. That was the most no. David Brent thing you what? could have possibly said. No, I don't think it is. <laughs> that was so precise, Chris. Think about what you've just, just said. Just listen that. to yourself. At the end of the day, optimism is better. <laughs> Robbie has had, well, he's had a moment. An epiphany, he's you could call it. an epiphany that life is not all that bad, no, Rob. What, what I'm saying is there are those out there that enjoy being pessimists. As you did for 40 years. As I years. did for quite some time. You I know, didn't realise this phase was over for you. No, it is. Okay. It is. I've just decided to just rejig my outlook like a little that. bit. When did this happen? Um, it's hard to pinpoint. Five, five really. minutes ago, I'm pretty sure. No, no, not at all. No, I think you know. It's just it's wearying 
being pessimistic all the time. Is it? You're absolutely yeah. right. It is. It's like, I mean, we can. It's easy to get down on stuff. Mm-hmm. You only yeah. need to jump on Twitter to start feeling, you absolutely. know, generally pessimistic about life. So you hit the big 4 row and you've started... Yeah, well, yeah, you, you may around. as well... Just get hold of things. <laughs> Look on the bright side of I life. Just, uh, just, everything I possibly say now is a cliche, isn't it? <laughs> it's just a walking cliche. I'm getting David Brent gifts on my WhatsApp in yeah. response to yeah. you right now. Yeah, brilliant. Oh, I love well, it. he is a hero of mine. Yeah, so. well, listen, that's exactly <laughs> it. You've morphed into him. The Offscript Podcast. Where do we start with all of this? I know we spoke infinitum about Formula One last night, of course, in the immediate aftermath of those remarkable scenes at the Yas Marina circuit. 24 hours on, I know you've watched a lot, you've read a lot. Anything changed with what went on and how you view it? Um, I think the, you know, in, in, the, in the sort of immediacy of it, you're swept up in yeah. how dramatic it was and what a great sporting spectacle it was. And, and, you know, that final lap really was so poetic because it seemed to encapsulate the entire season. And it was very in keeping with the narrative that sort of played out, the kind of ebbing and flowing, the yo-yoing of momentum in terms of the season. So to get a lap, a final lap shootout, it's, it's something in a Hollywood script. There'll probably be a film made about that season one day. It was really quite extraordinary. But then the more you actually go through it and the more you just kind of... It was very obvious at the time and a lot of people who aren't necessarily connected in any way to F1 could clearly see that there'd been a contrivance there. It's impossible to get away from the idea that the... Formula One are just making their own rules in order to suit a narrative to to capitalise on the natural drama of the situation they were what they did yesterday was opportunistic and they were entitled because I was reading some of the small print the race director is entitled to overrule what, what appears in the handbook. That's why they were so quick to throw out. That's why Damien Reed on our show yesterday, his point about Max Verstappen zigzagging, yeah. I, I, I haven't seen that mentioned. And I'm staggered that if Damien has spotted something that no one else on this planet connected to F1 has seen, that blows my mind. And nothing against Damien. Damien is a very knowledgeable observer and commentator of the sport of F1. But if Damien's the only one to have noticed that breach... That simply does leave me completely speechless. So that I can only draw the conclusion that perhaps Damien had seen something that maybe didn't actually transpire or maybe he watched it first. Maybe he saw something that he thought was a breach and that wasn't actually a breach. Because how? If Mercedes are pouring over the minutiae of what happened, everything that led up to that moment where Max Verstappen was able to get on the elbow of Lewis Hamilton and pass him in dramatic fashion at the end of the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix in the final lap, if they are not noticing that zigzagging in front of Hamilton, which Damien Reed himself had said as a commentator of F1, that is a clear breach that in itself in any other circumstance could warrant a five second penalty given the fact that Verstappen only won by a handful of seconds that would allow Hamilton to leapfrog Verstappen and to take the championship but what I, what I, what I will say is there is no way in hell that the FIA and Formula One will overturn this no result. No way. The, the party has been had, the, the guests have left the building, the doors have been closed, and it's been locked up for another yeah. year. And they, are, they aren't sending anyone back to reopen those doors. No, no, no. It's done. The cleaners are in. 
Yeah, the cleaners no. are in. The party's done, guys. Former champion Damon Hill, he doesn't think another appeal will come to anything. There's not really been any precedent where they've, they've overturned the decision of World Championship. I think for the sake of the sport, I think they will be very disinclined to find in favour of Mercedes. I think it's not a, a legal case as such because the FIA, they're, they're not a government. They make the rules themselves. And that's a view that has been supported. Of course, two appeals already rejected. Formula One writer Hayden Cobb, he believes that similar to Robbie, it's difficult now for the FIA to overturn the result. Do they pretend like the last lap never happened and therefore if you went on count back, therefore Hamilton was leading and therefore wins the race and the title, which I think would be almost an injustice to to the fans and and to rebel to Verstappen again. Yeah, it's fair to say. Sorry for the cliche here, but the horse has bolted. There will be fallout and more recriminations, but really, is the result going to stand? Yes, it is. Of course it is. And the more I think about it, the more unfair it seems, in really? all honesty. Yeah, it really does. And I know you. We, we spoke yesterday and you said safety car is part and parcel and it happens throughout the season. But for all of those stars to align... Hamilton was he was home and hosed in that race he was he was there and for him when it it, is F1 I know but for him to be penalised in that manner for a crash that was was nothing to do with him but again I go back to it but but then you then you add in F1 jumping on that it's not just the fact that he was penalised it's not just the fact the safety car came out that in itself would be a horrendous stroke of misfortune for him it was then that F1 were given the opportunity to capitalise and then they were able they were sent a gift from the gods hang on a minute we can turn this into a shootout let's turn this into a shootout Hamilton's on the worn tyres and he's a sitting duck. He's essentially a sitting duck. So there was, there was nothing he could have done. So it, it just seems issue, grossly right? unfair to me. It is. That's the issue. What you've said there is the one. Safety cars are part and parcel. They will happen race one. They will happen race 22. That is part of a season. Where it kind of sticks in the throats of feel of Lewis Hamilton fans is that those three cars were allowed to release themselves. All of the back markers, it, was, it wasn't it was one and all, it was three. The others were left to it because, as you say, they wanted to script it. Lee Westwood, golfer, winner, Abu Dhabi HSBC, multiple time, uh, European number one on the European tour first thing he tweeted last night cannot wait for Drive to Survive Mm. 2021 because that Netflix show you can stop right now forget Game of Thrones the best thing that will drop on Netflix will be the behind the scenes of this season that has just transpired and you saw what Gary uh, Lineker tweeted Chris I assume I did not I'm just going to grab it now Uh, probably tongue tongue firmly in cheek from Gary Lineker here but he says imagine Man City and Liverpool going toe to toe for the title on the last day of the season they meet and City are three up with just minutes to go the referee decides it would be more exciting to have a penalty shootout. What's more, the City players have to be barefoot. That's F1. That's a nice analogy. Nice uh, a lot of people, a lot of people who, again, are the first to point out that they are not experts in F1. And you see, the, the casual armchair fan will not know the nuances of the safety car 
and the effect that it can have very arbitrarily on races. Whereas your seasoned F1 observer will know that the safety car frequently influences races. And over the course of a season, as you always say, Chris, if we look at, say, a VAR injustice, they even out over the course of the season. You look at that, you might be aggrieved in one match, but then you might get a break the next match. And the same goes for the safety car. Chances are that over the course of a long 22-race season, instances involving the safety car will even out. But when a safety car decides an F1 title in the manner that it did... It's, 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 it's a sore one for Lewis Hamilton uh, fans. We're getting loads of messages in on this. And, and listen, Matt's been in touch. I don't think it's our Matt, but a Matt has been in touch to say that he thinks it's a good decision that Max won. Uh, he goes on to say that uh, it was about time that Hamilton was knocked off his throne. Hopefully he may now retire. So that is an individual. Well, that's just someone... Uh, and Matt, Matt clearly wanted Max to win. Uh, that, that's an allegiance. Mm. Um, Hamilton, you know might go on to win an eighth world title and there'll be a lot of Lewis Hamilton fans that will think that is wonderful. Max is, Matt is clearly not a Lewis no, Hamilton fan because he wants him to retire and <laughs> resign and wander off into the sunset to do I'm not sure what. Is that Matt or is but, that Max texting it? Yeah, potentially it is Max. Um, but, but yeah, that, that's... Whether you like Hamilton or not, whether you're a fan of his or not, no one can question or no one can really deny that... At the very least, Max Verstappen got monstrously lucky. Mm. At the very least, he got monstrously lucky. And at the worst, at the most, there was a bit of contrivance going on there. Yeah, there was, there was, there was, uh, there was engineering, not of a Formula One nature. Yeah, I think beautiful. Love that pun. Someone says, "Fad it is." Was on a flight. They didn't show the F1 on live sport. But I don't get it. If there was something illegal about the overtake on final lap, then they would have to avoid the decision. But if they have bent the rules, and I think this is the key, I think what they've done is they've operated in that grey little area. They've seen an opportunity. They've jumped into that little bit of ambiguity, uh, ambiguity, and they've taken advantage of that to engineer, to steal your word, the perfect final lap shootout which is an exclamation mark against a season that has been hailed as one of the best ever and you know what if it weren't for the tyres uh, you'd almost be inclined to say you've earned it guys you know but, what but I would have I'm kind of with you on this I think we all would have went oh okay let them do this if Lewis had been afforded the same opportunity to get in the pits as Max was to get those fresh tyres on I think if that was the case you'd be a little bit like yeah let them at it let them at it yeah. but it's the fact that he was in your words again bit of a sitting duck he's on those old tyres he only stopped once had they both got in before the safety car they both got on the softs he'd be like you know what get those three cars out of the way one lap to go same tyres let them at it but the fact that Lewis was hamstrung by his strategy through no fault of his own because he's 10 seconds clear with four laps remaining he's played a blinder yeah, um, and let's be honest, you said you said Max is going to eat into that lead. Did, he yeah. was not. Lewis was on 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 wearing tires on on tires that were that were not fresh. Lewis was to a large extent keeping Max at bay. Max was not closing that gap until the crash occurred, until the safety car came on and suddenly they concertina and then the three cars in between them are essentially told to make way. And on that restart, they're almost side by side. Yeah. I watched it again. Incredible commentary from David Croft, yeah, and David Croft on uh, Sky Sports. But they're, they're, I mean, Hamilton's a few yards ahead. 
Hmm. It was, and, and don't get me wrong, I think the move that Max pulled off was, again, tantamount to the fact, and, and who knows, he may have been legitimately the best driver of the season. There's well, a big, you can, you can certainly say he won 10 races in the end. Of course, had Hamilton won that one, it would have been nine apiece. Yeah. So that in itself is a question mark. But at the same time, Max Verstappen was outstanding this season. He was. You could chuck him into the hat. We're going to talk about it a bit later on in the show. Athletes of the year. You could certainly chuck Max Verstappen into that hat. Uh, former McLaren engineer Mark Priestley. Now, he feels that Max Verstappen was always destined when he made his F1 debut at 17 for greatness. It was probably inevitable that at some point Max was going to become world champion. But of course... His career has come along at a time when he's up against perhaps the, the, the sport's greatest ever racing driver in Lewis Hamilton. And that's why we've had such a great season. Ooh, a Ferrari fan has spoken. Hamilton was robbed. Hope he gets it. And look forward to seeing him challenge again in the future. Great athlete to have in the sport. And that is coming from a Ferrari fan as well. The Offscript Podcast. We hope that you enjoyed this episode. Please do go ahead and click subscribe. You can also check out our other podcasts, Time Capsule or The Big Interview. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. 